Welcome to Engineering Stories, a podcast presented and produced by Silver Fox and the Institute of Engineering Technology. This week's guest is Phil Clements, a chartered engineer, a fellow of the IET and the Director of Operations and Business Support at SSE. Phil has had an amazing journey into engineering and shares his experience of apprenticeships, degrees and even what it's like working on the Olympic Games. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hi, welcome to Engineering Stories. My name is Conor Maringolo. I am a University of Kent student studying electronic and communications engineering. And this is um, Alex, my co-host. Hi, hi, I'm Alex. I am working here at Silver Fox as the head of research and development. And we're on this podcast, Engineering Stories. And we have uh, Phil with us. And um, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, good morning, everybody. I'm Phil Clements, and I'm Director of Operations and Business Support at SSE. Um, I graduated in electrical power systems back in 2005 from Manchester. So what about SSC then? Can you tell us a bit more about that and what you do there? Yeah, so SSE is a, is a really exciting place at the moment. We're a very large group of organisations and I sit within our energy solutions business. And we are embarking on um, being a world leader in making that transition to net zero um, through a number of sectors that are very important to the energy industry at the moment. We're looking at um, whole energy solutions that are built up from solar, battery storage, private networks, uh, electric vehicle charging hubs, um, and smart digital service offerings that kind of pull all of these offerings together into a, you know, a complete energy system that allows customers not to really have to think about where their energy comes from or worry about it being inefficient or expensive. You know, we take all of that off their hands and provide them with a whole system low carbon solution, which is a, a really exciting place to be and certainly one of the reasons why I joined the business in the first place. It's, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are working really hard in these sectors at the moment. Um, and I'm proud to be working alongside and with a lot of really, really intelligent people, some great engineers at a time which is really pivotal for us all in, in shaping that zero carbon future. How do energy companies manage being net zero then? Because from my understanding, energy creator gets power to the grid. So how do they guarantee customers that they're, they're net zero? Well, at the moment, we're, we're shaping our plans to transition to net zero. So obviously, we're still, as a, as a, as a planet and as a, as a nation, uh, we're relying on um, energy systems, which are still carbon intensive. But then the, um, that's starting mm. to change and well, it's, it's way beyond starting to change, you know, with the level of renewable penetration that we've got connected to the grid directly and with the efforts of, of um, organizations like ourselves to really target lower carbon offerings right at the user level. Um, you know, we're obviously not at net zero yet, but the plans we've got to um, look at and, and deploy smart energy systems will will definitely get us there. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that, you know, being an engineer within this industry at the moment is most exciting, you know, because the plan isn't clear. It's absolutely in our hands to shape and it requires a lot of innovative thought, um, a lot of um, personal contribution and, you know, a lot of working together as a team. To actually work out what that looks like we, we've not fully laid it out yet there's a lot of uh, a lot of planning to do and a lot of um, technologies that we need to develop and help mature to help us get there but i mean what a responsibility you know when you look at um right from the likes of david attenborough and and across all of the world leaders the commitment to making climate change um happen for the better of us all 
you know, the responsibility of engineering to play the role in helping us get there is, is just huge. So, I mean, you know, who, who wouldn't want to work in an industry like this at the moment is, is where my head's at anyway. Yeah, definitely. How long do you think it'll take before we hit that net zero goal? I, I think I couldn't give you an absolute year. I mean, we're obviously aiming by 2030 mm. to, have, um, okay. to have done a lot of the hard yards. But I think it's just going to be exciting to see what happens along that pathway because i mean even even 10 years ago you know the level of we would have never really forecast the level of um of solar generation penetration onto um you know onto the grid and and the level of contribution that solar has made was not really part of the future energy scenarios that were being looked at and it only takes you know like a one technology to really take off and find a market for us to make another kind of real heavy shift towards that future so you know can we can we beat the targets and can we get there sooner I, I think we can if we really apply ourselves so talking about your um your actual degree and you did your degree in manchester and then you you went for sse did you always want to do stuff with the environment with when it came to engineering or what made you decide okay i'm gonna do this a number of things, really. I think I was quite fortunate in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I think firstly, and this sounds really cliche, right? But as a, as a kid, you know, growing up, I, I did like understanding how things work and building things. You know, I was a massive Lego and Meccano buff, which is probably the, the cliche story of every engineer at some point. Yeah. But, uh, but I did, you know, it wasn't actually at school the thing that, that I was the strongest in, but it was just the, you know, technology and, and even maths was the thing I was most interested in. Um, and then I was fortunate, you know, I had a, had a family member who, who was a role model to me. He was a very senior electrical engineer, an uncle of mine, my uncle Richard. Um, and he, he had a great career out of electrical engineering. Um, and I kind of wanted to know, well, what, what's that about? You know, how do I get into that? And, and he helped me get into um, engineering at an early age. So I started my career. I was an apprentice, um, predominantly specializing in welding and fabrication. Um, and then I realized I wanted to kind of get into something that kind of quenched my intellectual thirst um, a bit more. So I, um, I entered into electrical design um, and then left to left that to, to go and study full time. I actually did my degree at Teesside and then a, a master's qualification at Manchester. Um, and I think, you know, not not to digress, but that, that's one of the reasons I really um, have enjoyed coming into the leadership side of, of my career. You know, I, I took on my first team management responsibility probably about 10 years ago now, and I really love the leadership. But I, it, is a, it is a tremendous responsibility that leaders in, the en in engineering and in, in the energy industry have to, to make sure that we're role models for the next generation. You know, I, I've seen how influenced I was by a role model that was close to me, and I feel that responsibility to create and be that role model for other people. Whether or not I'm succeeding or not is another, is another issue, but... Um, I just I hope that other people are as fortunate as I am in that domain. I then actually um, I didn't go straight to SSE. I joined National Grid on their graduate development program in, in 2005 after graduating. Um, and, and like SSE and like lots of other companies out there, I'm sure National Grid's graduate program was was really excellent. And I'm sure it's only come on leaps and bounds since then because obviously that was quite a while ago. But um, that that really did. Um, Kind of help that transition for me into the industry which was otherwise quite daunting you know just to go from a, a purely academic environment into a, a into a working environment but a really a really great program that helped me learn about myself about the industry and, and bridge that gap 
uh, the likes of which um, you know other, other organisations offer. So I, I do recommend that. It's only one of a number of routes in. Obviously, um, you know, apprenticeship schemes are very different than. Um, my goodness, my that sound really old now. But when I did an apprenticeship back in the day, um, you know, they were mainly for people leaving school and, and doing like a four-year program to bridge that gap. The breadth of apprenticeships that you can do now at all levels of seniority is is staggering, and and that with graduate programs and traineeships, I know are a, a mixture of of attracting new talent into our organisation that we're focusing on at SSE and that and that we do in in other areas, you know, and that other organisations do. Um, so yeah, to come back to your original your original question, it was it was just part of me. I think I mean my my dad and my family are builders as well, so that kind of construction. Um, you know, it was probably in my blood a little bit, but more of interest than, than anything else. And, mm. and really, you know, net zero and, and carbon reduction wasn't really massively on the agenda when I entered the industry, like in the late 90s, you know, mm. it was starting to, you know, be mm. thought about. And I don't think it was, um, I don't think it was really taken as seriously as, as, as it now very much needs to be and is. Um, so I've kind of come through that process of looking at the, was starting to get more serious and, and, and do something about it, which has been really interesting. Silver Fox proudly supports engineers with all their cable, wire and pipe labelling requirements. The Fox in a Box thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus four four 01707 You mentioned about how you felt doing a leadership role. Can we delve more into that experience? Like your first time being kind of responsible for other engineers, not only yourself. I can imagine that would be pretty daunting. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I guess it's very, very different. And um, I think you know, maybe there was a, a part of, um, and, and I've seen other people when I've then interviewed people for leadership roles actually not make the conscious or recognize the conscious difference between being an engineer and then being a manager or a leader of other engineers. I think, you know, some people perhaps think of it as like being, well, you know, an engineer plus some additional responsibilities, but going from being an engineer to managing a team of engineers is it's, it's hard. It's a hard transition. You know, it's, um, People are, are unique and, and have different needs and different aspirations, different capabilities, um, which is what makes it all the more interesting, obviously. But um, but it, it was quite it was quite tough, you know, to, to make that um, transition. And all of a sudden, things like you know everything that I said and communicated um, needed to be, you know, um, people hung on to that a lot more than than they did before I was their manager, for example, you know, and. Um, and you're very then consciously aware of of what you look like, what you sound like, what, mm. what what you say, what you write in an email, and things like that. Because you know that is setting direction for people, and people will look and listen and act accordingly. You know, um, I found it, um, but I did I did really enjoy it. You know, after getting my after starting to get my head around it, just feeling like um, you know I was able to a help other people. I think that's probably one of the things that's that's always driven me. If I do know something. I'm usually the one that's asking all the questions, even still in this role of other people to help me understand how things work and such like. But the times when I've been able to kind of, you know, coach and mentor somebody that, that's had a real positive effect, either in, in them changing their 
outlook of what their potential is or, or making that next step of their own to get to another level of seniority or even just you know to get an additional skill under their arsenal as an engineer i found that really rewarding and, and fulfilling you said that there was there's a bit of a difference between an engineer and leadership what is what to the people who want to be a, a leader of engineers what are the qualities do you think make a like a manager a a leader of the engineers rather than just an engineer yeah it's a really yeah that's a really good question i think i mean one of the things that is absolutely crucial i think is to just not lose your authenticity you know and um i, I talk there about making a conscious change from being an engineer to being a, a manager or a leader of people or you know one of the most important things is not to lose yourself in that process and make you and, and put on an act to achieve that, you know, because um, it, it can dial in trust and, and all sorts. You know, I think one of the best things you can do is be authentic. And, and in that process, you know, recognize your own shortcomings and your own development needs and, and say when you just don't know something or you, you don't understand something. I think there's mm. maybe when, when I first became a team manager, I thought, well, look, you know, I, I need to be the one that can answer all the questions and know everything because I'm at the next level up now. And that, that's just ridiculous you know because you'll never be the one that has all of the knowledge across so many people in, in a team that you're managing um so i think that that whole honesty and and um an authenticity quality um as a, as a platform for trust with the people that are in in your function is, is absolutely needed um i think you obviously need to be um an, an excellent stakeholder manager given that, that one of the prime responsibilities of, of any organization where you're leading one team of many is to make sure that team and their responsibilities nest well with all of the other parts of the engine if you like uh, to use an appropriate analogy to make sure that the whole organization operates um, and i think sometimes I've, I've seen that as my my biggest role actually to try and make sure that my team as a whole is well you know knitted in with the rest of the organization um, in order to um, in order to contribute effectively um, I think you need to be flexible as well. I think that's, um, you know, rather than uh, even your own approach and, and what how um, how I used to operate as an engineer, for example, um, in some senses, yes, you want to set really high standards and expectations, but people work in different ways and, and you do need to, to adapt to um, other people's ways of working as, as much as you, do, you need them to try and you know, reach for achieving high standards and things like that. And um, and that can be difficult when you've been used to only your own style and your own way of working for such a long time, you know, but um, but people people do work in different ways, you know. So I think th those are the kind of the main ones that jump to mind, I think. You mentioned apprenticeships mm -hmm. and how, how, how wide the breadth of availability is now. If you were to go back and do it now, do you think you'd still take university? go to Teesside and then Manchester or do you think you had it a different way? Yeah, so obviously I, I did a I did an apprenticeship first and then I worked for a couple of years and then decided to go back to university. Everyone um, makes the right decisions for themselves at the time and that was right for me at the time. I've often reflected, you know, with hindsight, should I have taken the academic route and gone straight to university given that's where I went anyway? Um, I, I don't think I would change anything because I mean, you know, the apprenticeship that I did, um, it was a really good grounding for, for lots of areas of engineering, you know, mechanical, electrical, welding fabrication, which it was very, which it was biased around. 
but it did give me those those hand, literal hands-on practical skills of um you know in in the training center i was at for example you know actually wiring up uh, distribution boards and, and making things out of metal work and um you know turning things on a lathe and things like that um, it did give me some really good practical skills that i believe have set me up in good stead um i don't think um i don't think one route is is better necessarily than another i think we do need a mixture of people coming through different routes um we need people coming through purely academic routes which are which are good for them and we need people coming through you know kind of more vocational experience based routes into into the industry as well you know i mean particularly i talked about in our business where we're, we're embarking on sectors of the industry that are, are the newest and are still evolving and still maturing um you actually you, you can't really get an abundance of ready-made skill yeah. in in the areas that we need so the best way that we can we can build that is to try and grow it ourselves you know through a um through a vocational route wherever we can um so i think graduate routes and apprenticeship routes and and other traineeships and things are are equally valuable as a, as a mix of how you get the right skill into your organization but um but i i wouldn't change anything i had um i had a, a great time on my apprenticeship i had a, had a good laugh as well <laughs> and, and built some really good friendships there as well um and and it was the right route for me at the time and and i can't complain with them with how i've done within my career um you know and i think the right individual i think to a certain extent if you've got the ambition you've got the drive you really want to make a contribution um and the industry as a whole is right for you i think you know you, you will do well whatever your route in um you know there is a scarcity of resource across the industry which is why it's so important for um you know the iet and and all of the various other organizations to help encourage people into engineering but that means that actually you know what there are a lot more opportunities to shape your career around what you want to do with it within engineering based roles you know so yeah i think i think that's that's the key of this podcast is what we're trying to show is there are so many different routes into and through engineering that just because you don't think you're ready for university or um you know or even an apprenticeship isn't for you and you want to do the academia either either is acceptable and this all the skills are useful absolutely and i mean i think in, in lots of different ways i mean i think the biggest thing that academia did for me was to really open my mind intellectually i guess um i did it i did a hnc as part of my apprenticeship and again i I was more interested in electrical engineering, but I found as a subject matter, I found it the most difficult to grasp, you know, because you can't mm. always see what's going on with electricity and things like that. Yeah. Mm. Going into academia helped open my, my mind wider so that actually some of the fundamental principles became a lot more easy to grasp, you know, and, and that worked yeah. for me um, a, a great deal, I think. You've worked um, in SSE, National Grid. Is there any projects that you're particularly proud of or anything that you thought that wow this is really difficult but ended up um completing it um to its entirety oh yeah that's a, that's a good question there's quite a few i mean i guess the the one that that really sticks to mind i mean i was involved in um i've been involved in quite a few things and i guess that's that's the one um challenge of being a you know a team manager or a leader is that you you don't immediately get into all the nuts and bolts and take full accountability for a project you, you know you're leading other people on their projects but i think through that process I've, I've had the real privilege to get 
close to some really exciting engineering projects like um, National Grid's London Power Tunnels project, some of the new um, you know, power station, large power station connection reinforcement projects across the network. Um, and, um, you know, and, and they've been really, really interesting and exciting. I helped National Grid prepare for enhanced resilience through the Olympic Games to make sure that energy didn't let the, uh, the 2012 Games down. Um, I think if I'm being honest, though, one of the, um, the project that sticks in my mind was a project that I took through from right from, you know, a concept through from an idea into delivery and oversaw the design through delivery as well and actually saw you know that the, the project team that i led and delivered engineering deliverables for you know i saw that getting built on site for the first time and it was a it was a 400 kv substation project for national grid and it was a it was quite a complex project uh, with lots and lots of interfaces on a really congested site with a lot of skepticism around whether or not we could achieve like an optimal solution um, and it was a lot of hard work, but again, with a, with a, a real team of, um, of strong engineers around us, we managed to work out a lot of the, the, the problems and, and iron out some of the kinks. Again, it wasn't easy, um, but then to see that getting delivered, it was in Manchester, um, to see that actually getting built and delivered and therefore now be part of the landscape. That I was really proud of that, actually. Um, you know, that um, I remember as a kid, you know, my dad driving me around saying, you know, oh, I, I built that roof or I built that extension or I built that house and things. And, um, and now I kind of know how, know how we felt, you know, to kind of see that. I didn't obviously physically lay a single brick or anything like that, but, you know, to see all the ideas and the engineering play out with the, with the site delivery team actually physically building according to our plans was, was just really great. It just felt really contributory, really valuable and, um, and, and connected with me a great deal. So that was, that was a project I was really proud of. This podcast is produced by the IET and Silver Fox. Silver Fox manufacture and supply cable, wire and pipe labels for a variety of sectors around the world, including rail, data, power and more. They manufacture all their products here in the UK and ship globally, either direct or via their ever-growing network of distributors. For all of your labelling needs, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 Three seven three seven two seven. Can I ask you guys a question then? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so, so you asked me about, um, you know, what, what what do I think are the leadership qualities that are that are most important to lead other engineers? What do you see as being the, the things that you revere most, or that you would look up to most in a leader um, that have? with particular references in mind of your own kind of role models and things like that, what do you think as leaders in this industry, we all need to ambassador to, to help other people be attracted into it and be successful? So, well, my dad is, uh, my dad's in a, like a leadership role for Tata Steel from like his perspective. And it's kind of mine as well, is that it's about how you treat people rather than how you manage them. Managing is a bit of a, harsh term as in it in the in the end you all want the same thing you all want to do the project and you all want to do well so if you all if you're all on the kind of the same wavelength of each other and as long as you're working trying to get everyone to work together rather than having individuals doing certain things there's it's not very productive like that you want to make sure that everyone is working together and 
gets along so then they can help each other and then it just produces a bit more efficiency and things go a bit more well things go well when people get on well so i think it's a it's a big uh it, it has a lot of interpersonal skills i think yeah no that's, that's really, really <laughs> so connor does your dad listen to this will he be proud he does listen to this and he'll probably he's already passed the conservatory door thinking that i'm a pop singer by the way i'm holding <laughs> my microphone so uh yeah i'm sure he'll like to hear that uh <laughs> but yeah i'm sure you'll like it i'm staying with him as well so if i'd said anything wrong i'd probably get kicked out so you know gotta say something gotta say something good for him as well as you know in my keep <laughs> i think you're right it's a, it's a really good observation though i mean i've felt a couple of times you know there's there is a lot of pressure on the industry at the moment we, we started off talking about you know the transition to net zero and what does the plan look like there is obviously a lot of pressure on the entire industry to get there um and again we've talked about resource being scarce and things like that in the industry um there is a lot of pressure on and i think as a leader there is a risk of in in pursuit of delivery if you don't kind of you know take your team with you um you all of a sudden can be a very lonely place you know um and um that's something i've learned you know that i'm a very goal-oriented person but I have seen that if, if I do tend to, you know, kind of make my mind up about something and, and crack on and, and do it and assume that my team will follow me, it's it's not great. You know, it does create a disconnect. I think it's a, you make a really good point, Connor. It's really important that you do um, not just take your team with you, but they're part of that that journey and everyone feels mm. included and considered and, and you, weigh the, you weigh up their, um, their thoughts and ideas and things in equal measure to your own, really. I just wanted to kind of delve back into your uh, the projects that you were talking about. You mentioned the Olympics. Mm. How did it feel to be on such a high-pressured project? Because I can imagine that one would... There's probably a lot of eyes watching you to make sure that that's going well. Yeah, there were, there were um, from, from, you know, internally and externally. And I guess it was a, it was a challenging one for us at, at National Grid because actually, you know, the transmission network the electrical transmission network um prides itself on, on having a real really strong level of resilience and um and level of redundancy built into it to, to cater for faults and unplanned events and things like that so actually um there was a risk that that could you know kind of enable you to carry complacency and think well okay you know what, what's the real threat out there you know if somebody's going to want to disrupt the games surely they will target wembley or something like that rather than the transmission network um, and it, but it took a, probably a while for me before I joined that team to kind of really think about, well, actually, you know what, is that right? You know, I mean, I'm not, not to one, for one minute profess to think that I'm in, inside the mind of, of, you know, a malicious attacker or anything like that. But, um, you know, attacks on, on UK PLC are not always in the obvious, in the primary kind of areas of, of infrastructure that you might think. And jumping to the end and after the games, I know that, um, there were there were a number of cyber attacks that were introduced all over the kind of support infrastructures of the games, including including grids that we managed to thwart by our by our preparations and things. So I think trying to get the business into that mindset was was initially quite tough. But then you just think, well, actually, you know what? You put yourself in in the in the in the seat of the telephone operator that has to pick up the phone because actually the, the power's gone out in the uh, in, you know in the swimming 
in the swimming stadium, right, when they when they yeah. the starting pistol got off and something like that. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the publicity and the the yeah. regulatory risk of uh, of being able to carry on holding our license and things like that? It was it was very very um, very hard pressure. The the, um, the things that we could do to enhance our resilience as well, given that it was already a, a resilient network, were kind of um, you could you could go to any extreme end of, of enhancing resilience and things, you know. So we had to be quite smart and make sure that we made the best use of, of monies for investment while making sure that we were effectively managing risk. And and I was only on the project for I think just under a year, but um, um, but I did believe that we actually helped make sure that the games were in our way you know successful um, as much as many other people did as well you know um, what would you do as a job if you didn't have engineering would you oh. know? <laughs> um, do you know I, I i don't know um i think it's a hard one you know because you you do um you know it becomes like your life doesn't it yeah, yeah I, like, I kind of i, I yeah. reflect quite a great deal and, and especially um, probably up until um, a number of years ago, I used to reflect and think, you know, what, what would I have done differently? Was this actually the right career for me? And, and again, I, I then reassure myself with the fact that look, we all make the right decision at the right time for us based on circumstances. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, um, but you always weigh up what you think is the right thing to do at the time, and you don't consciously make the wrong decision, do you? You know, you try and make the right decision based on all of the facts available. And um, if it wasn't here, I think, you know, I would hope that I would still find somehow the ability to enter that industry where I got the same sense of achievement. And usually, you know, if that was in a, in, a, in something kind of that, that constructed things and made things, um, I think that would that would certainly um, give me the buzz. I don't know, I, I, because the, the leadership side of this role, because I do like working with people and, and helping people, you know, maybe something in, in education, um, mm might have might have appealed and one day i might i might still return to that you know um and, and kind of hopefully um use the skills that i've developed to kind of help other people in, in a different way um but yeah maybe something like that it's, it's hard you know when you when you, you've come yeah, into an no. industry to, to <laughs> things you know like even now as a student for myself as in i've done robotics projects I, i'm an electronic communication so i really have no business doing it but um I've been doing it for about five years. I did a foundation year, and then I did a year in industry. And every single year, when they say, "Oh, what project do you want?" I'm like, ah, "I'll pick a robot project. That's always the one to do." And like, I remember one of my friends saying, "Oh, well, what would you what would you do if you just didn't if you couldn't?" And I was like, "Well, I'm not really sure because that's all that's like that's the enjoyment that you get out of it. You know, mm -hmm. that's your passion. And sometimes when they say, "Oh, what happens if your passion goes?" and it's like, "Well." I don't really like that question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's move on. Exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't I want think, to see it go. I think maybe as well now I'm thinking about it a bit further. I mean, um, again, as we talked about working with people and, and everyone and mm. being adaptable to different people, um, psychology then kind of starts to interest me. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and, and kind of learning more about people and, um, and particularly where people need help. Again, you know, modern mm. life is so presents so many... Uh, you know, risks and to, to mental health and, and well-being, and, and certainly as yeah. a you know as a leader in in, in an organisation like ours and, and any organisation, you know, you, you you do feel a very very and rightly so, you know, a very very strong responsibility for for the, the health and well-being of the people in your structure, yeah. and you know, and, and and it's 
tough to make sure that you're constantly getting the, the balance right you know that you absolutely have to and i think it, um that does interest me you know the things that mm. um that, that make people different people operate in different ways and the things mm. that motivate people as well as the things that demotivate people all that mm. side of psychology interests me I've, I've got a really um a really clever cousin in liverpool who's been studying that recently after a um a decision around the change of career and, and some of the subjects that he's um, and, and dissertation topics that he's been working on have sounded really, really interesting. You know, so maybe that would be something that uh, I'd go into if engineering wasn't here. Yeah, I, I personally did. Um, I never actually did any engineering modules or anything in school. I did uh, psychology, history, and stuff like that. So um, no, I, I really was into psychology as well. It was really, it was a really good t- topic, and it. It helped a lot to get a bit more perspective on things. It was really interesting. Yeah, there's one kind of psychology and, and engineering kind of uh, train of thought that's always stuck in my mind, you know, in terms of... I used to have a, um, a lecturer at Darlington College when I was doing my apprenticeship. His first name was Rob, and I can't remember his surname, but that, that's a good thing because that tells you how personable the guy was. He just he didn't want to be Mr. So-and-so. He just wanted to be known as Rob. And, uh, by his own admission, he didn't have any qualifications to his name, ironically, working in, in education. Um, he was just so, so interested in electronics um, that he, he kind of, you know, he, he grew his knowledge base into it and became a lecturer. And he said, look, you know, if, if technology, I don't know if viewers listening can't see this, but if technology was was this long, and I'm holding my hands up about a foot apart, you know, he says we're about there, which is about a millimetre. And I think that's probably about the same around the same as, as human learning and human understanding. You know, if knowledge around mm-hmm. the human mind and, and how human beings operate was was that big, you know, we're only we're only at a hair's width along, you know, and I think there's so much that we've yet to learn. Mm. I remember a quote a little while ago, and I can't remember who said it, but a psychologist came out and said the brain is too complex to study itself. <laughs> so that that probably sums it up. <laughs> So we need an engineer to build a machine that can study Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 <laughs> Just out of curiosity, you mentioned education and how you, you could maybe go back to it. What do you see your future to be? Do you see your future to be maybe a lecturer or go do a PhD? Like what, what, what would be your future in, in your brain? Wow. Um, so I think... <laughs> At the moment, there's a lot of things influencing this, including the fact that I have two wonderful daughters who are three and one, respectively. Um, so my a lot of my priorities at the moment are around my family. I think I'm I'm not I'm not done within the industry yet in terms of working within organisations and certainly within the organisation that I'm in. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I've you know got to a level in my career that I never dreamed of reaching when I left school. You know, I had very much more near-term ambitions of becoming a really, se- you know, really good senior engineer, and and opportunities came in my direction, and, and I took them. I do want to broaden my, um, my my skills into other areas to to properly make sure that you know all facets of a business uh, of an engineering-based business or or an energy-based business that I understand, you know, outside of the, the technical side of things, and, and that's one of the things I'm I'm doing within this role, you know, is, is growing that that capability. So there's more that I want to do and there's more that I want to directly contribute within organizations like SSE around that transition to net zero. So I do see myself working in the industry for, for a good long while yet. 
Um, I don't know. Beyond that, yeah, I would like to then maybe come full circle and um, and, and go back and, um, and and make sure that again that that whole responsibility about making sure that people have the right encouragement and the right introduction to the industry. I, I still I don't think I'll ever lose the feeling of that responsibility. So to to go back and do something like that, I think would appeal. But um, maybe when my kids are old enough to be the ones sat in the classroom, I can get my own back a bit. <laughs> Do you see yourself being responsible as a, as an engineer in this industry? Do you feel responsible in encouraging other people uh, like me and my and other students to pursue engineering, or do you feel that it's not really an engineer's business? It's so it, you know it's your feeling to, to it's your want to do it, or do you feel like there should be more encouragement in this industry? especially with like diversity um, and more people like want more females in STEM, etc. I think, I think it's, I mean, it's everyone's responsibility, but that's a really easy get out of answering that question, isn't it? <laughs> do, do I feel that responsibility? Absolutely. Like, like I said before, I've seen and, and fortunate, uh, fortunately had firsthand the feeling of, of having a role model in the industry and wanting to just kind of pursue in that direction. So, so I, I definitely feel that responsibility that I want to create. How, how you start to think, right, how am I going to be that role model? It's really hard because, you know, sometimes it's qualities that you just can't mm. articulate. But um, but I definitely feel that you, you're dead right. You touch on an important point around diversity, given that, um, you know, historically, I, I do fear that it's been seen as a bit more of a, um, you know, of a, of a male-dominated industry and and things, and you know, genuinely, without without um, any word of a lie, that the key when you think of the breadth of things that we're trying to do and the innovative thinking that we need in engineering now, the only way that we will maximise our potential around that is to is to maximise our diversity. You know, people mm-hmm. from all demographics, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds to bring their perspective, their thought processes, and their ideas to the table so that we don't get any lopsided or biased outputs i think is more crucial than ever i think it's a really how do we how do we achieve that you know um Mm -hmm. by making sure that we get out there and and kind of make engineering feel attractive across a wide variety of demographics is really difficult particularly if it's predominantly um you know males that are in the industry at the moment going out and doing it you know but but we've definitely all got to all got to play our part, you know, and, and um, create working environments that are, um, you know, that, that absolutely embrace diversity as, as I genuinely feel an organization like SSE does. And I'm really proud to work for an organization that does that. And I'm, I know lots of other organizations, mm-hmm. National Grid that I worked for for many years have the same approach. Um, we all have that responsibility. And I think there's certainly more ways that we can be, that we can be targeting effort um, to to approach people at different ages and, and in different environments to help engineering feel like a really really interesting and an exciting place to be as it as it is you know mm. what, what would you tell students then that are listening to this and they're um and anaring about engineering what would you tell them right now i'd firstly i'd say look you know think really carefully um because and, and take your time to consider a wide range of, of things, including engineering. I mean, I, again, rather than try and say, look, you know, just think about engineering because it's, it's 
career and as I absolutely believe it is you know it's not for everybody and you know people could we could risk biasing people's thoughts and then going into something that's not naturally for them um, I, I do feel for people you know coming out of school in, in making those decisions the variety of things to go in and, and some of the financial difficulty of getting into the right thing for you you know constrains people's pathways I think but I think just just think really carefully and speak to lots of people but not necessarily just the people that are in already in academia kind of promoting different career pathways but reach out do placements in you know do a week's placement in an organization like ours where you can just come and see what it's like in this business you know talk to different people mm. talk to the IET and and similar organizations that that can network you with people that can give you their insight surrounding engineering certainly and, and I know that some of the structures are in place for, for lots of other different career pathways but um uh, but just take your time to make the right decision. There are enough options out there available for you to it. It can be quite overwhelming. Um, but then trust your instincts as well. You know, like I say, I, I wasn't, this wasn't the subject that was the easiest for me to go into, which was therefore it became tough when I made the decision to go into it because I felt like it was going to be a bit harder, but but it was still the right one for me to go into because it was my interest, you know. So, yeah. um, so take your time, speak to lots of people and um, and, and follow your instincts. Mm-hmm. So, is do, do SSE offer week placements, or is it just reach out, contact, and then see what happens? No, we we, we do. We offer. Um, I mean, we've talked about graduate and apprentice pathways. We offer summer placements for. Um, we, we've got a couple of um, placement students in in my part of the business at the moment that are with us for fourteen weeks. Holly and Ryan, who who. I met the other week at the start of their placements, really great, driven and, and passionate individuals that are going to help us as much as I hope we can help them. Uh, we do sometimes take, you know, kind of um, just work experience weeks for people that are different ages to just come in and, and shadow some of our teams and things and, and get to know our business a bit more. Um, I, I think, look, if somebody picked up the phone to me and said, look, we've got somebody that's um, that really just wants some experience of your business, can you can you accommodate them for a week? There's obviously various processes that we need to go through, but we, we can accommodate it. You know, you can come and, and look and learn and um, and we can certainly, you know, network you with the right people to speak to. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Great. Yeah, brilliant. All that leaves us with is just to say thank you, Phil. It's been a pleasure yeah, talking to you for the last it was brilliant. 45 minutes or however long we've been talking. Yeah, likewise, guys. Good yeah. to meet you as well. And thanks, for, thanks for your time. Yeah. Good conversation.